Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Willow Park Church's online church. We're so happy that you are joining us, and it's our prayer, and we do continually pray that you'll have a real wonderful connection with Jesus this morning. We've got some great worship uh, with the team in just a second. In fact, it's a bit of a Madden team, plus Jordan and Chris Baxter, and uh, we're really excited about that. And we're believing that you're really going to be encouraged uh, through the message in a little bit. So I'll be speaking in just a little bit for those who are tuning in at the South. And uh, Pastor Jordan will be preaching for those tuning in at uh, Highway 33. So thank you again for joining us. And I'm now going to hand over to the worship team. Uh, but let's pray. Let's focus our attention upon the Lord. And then I will hand over. Let's pray. Father, thank you that we can gather like this in homes uh, around the city and around the world. And Lord, and we can enjoy your presence. And so, Father, I pray now as, uh, as we go into a time of worship, that, Lord, that you'll be really close. That, Lord, that we'll sense you, that we'll be enjoying your presence. And, Lord, I thank you that your word says that you inhabit the praises of your people. And so, God, we hand this uh, over to you with expectant hearts. And Lord, we pray, Jesus, that you will be glorified as we sing and as we pray and as we enjoy this worship. And we ask these things now in your name. Amen. Amen. So I'll hand over now to the worship team. Welcome to Willow Park Church. We're so excited to be worshiping together wherever you're at. We want to sing a few songs before we hear the message. And let's just ready our hearts and, and be ready to welcome in God's presence to where we're at. Yeah. 
face today In your presence All our fears Are washed away Washed away Hosanna Hosanna You are the God Who saves us Worthy for our praises strength to face the day in your presence all our fears are washed away when we see you we find strength to face the day in your presence all our fears are washed away washed away
What a beautiful time of worship, and we're so grateful for the band and leading us in that. And, and uh, I just want to encourage you now to uh, go and find some bread and some juice, whatever your routine would be, in, uh, as we step into some communion and uh, thinking about all that that means. One of the things that I've been studying recently is uh, actually a passage of scripture that I'll be sharing in just a minute for those people who are watching from the south, is where Jesus said and invited us that we abide in him, remain in me in John 15. And it's a really fascinating word because it literally means come make your home with me. Come and remain and spend time with me. So when Jesus calls us to be his disciples, this literally calling us to be his apprentices. He's saying, come be with me, come be like me, come follow me, come do what I do. And so communion, this or the Lord's Supper, is an opportunity for us to remember what it means for us to abide in Jesus. What does it mean for us to be connected to him, to be apprenticed by him? And Paul, later on in 1 Corinthians, he says, whenever you gather together and do this, 
that we're to do it in memory of Jesus. And, and he takes us through some beautiful scripture. He says, for I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so Jesus is saying, abide in me. And Paul is reminding us of how that is possible. The way that we abide with Jesus, remain in Jesus, actually make our life uh, like a home in Jesus is because of what Jesus did on the cross. We can't do it outside of the free gift of salvation that Jesus made possible for all those who believe. And so as we quieten ourselves now and I pray over the bread and the juice, I just want to encourage you to remember, to think, to consider. Are you abiding in Jesus? Have you got that relationship with him? And is it a continual abiding? So it's not just a decision that we made a few years ago or a few months or a few weeks ago, but it's a continual remaining in him. And so when we take communion, it's actually an opportunity for us to confess, to maybe ask for forgiveness, to take our minds off the many distractions that this world is offering right now and to place it upon Jesus and to consider the beautiful promise that he says, come remain in me as we remember this incredible sacrifice. So I'm inviting you now to, to do that, to take the bread or whatever it might be that you're using to remember and do communion and to take the juice. And let's remember together through prayer this incredible gift of life, of abiding in Jesus. So let's pray as we take the bread. Dear Jesus, I'm so grateful that you have given us the invite to come, to remain in you, to abide in you. And so now, Lord, as we take this bread, that, Lord, I pray that all that it represents, that your body broken for us, that, Lord, that you took the punishment that I truly deserve for the sins that I have committed. Thank you, Jesus, for that. And, Lord, I pray that even as I eat this, that, God, I would just remember afresh the beautiful gift that is tied up in the cross. And forgive me, Lord, for the distractions. Forgive me, Lord, for the times that I don't remain in you and my thoughts are not in alignment with you. But thank you, Jesus, that you are a loving, merciful, patient, and forgiving God. So take now together and take the bread in remembrance of him. Lord Jesus, thank you also for the blood and all that it represents, shed for many. And Lord, I thank you that your promise is for all those who believe that their sins be forgiven, that eternity is sure. And so, Lord, now I pray as we take this cup, that we would have a fresh memory, a fresh remembrance of what it meant for you to die on that cross, that horrible death to take the punishment that I deserve. Thank you, Jesus. Let's take the cup now and drink it together as a sign of our unity in him.
So Lord, now we pray, Father, for the message that we are about to hear and I'm about to give. Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus that it will be filled with your power, that Lord, you would encourage us, you would challenge us, that Lord, that you would do that which you have promised to do, which is take the words and Lord, empower us that it never returns void. And Father, I pray that by your spirit that you would draw men, women, and children to yourself, even as they hear this message now. We ask all these things in your name, Jesus. We love you. Amen. God bless you and enjoy the message. Hello, Willow Park Church. My name is Courtney. Whether you're joining us from church online or one of our dwell gatherings, welcome and here's your family news. Join us tomorrow night at 7 p.m. for Willow One Prayer. We will be meeting in person at Highway 33 and online. Learn more and register to attend in person at willowparkchurch.com slash willow1prayer. Did you hear? Our midweek youth groups are starting up again this week. GLOW is for grades 9 to 12 and is happening this Wednesday from 7 to 9 p.m. JUICE for grades 6 to 8 is happening this Thursday night from 6.30 to 8 p.m. This year, youth will need to pre-register before they attend each week. Check out the youth website at cahoots.ca for more info. We are once again raising funds for Child of Mine, which supports two children's homes in northern India. A group of runners and walkers are doing a virtual event October 17th, and this year the funds raised will go towards post-secondary education for graduates of the homes. Learn more at childofmine.ca slash events. That's all for your family news. Thanks and enjoy your service.
And, uh, and so there's this kind of idea of exploring truth. And in the middle of all this, we have this increasing secular society that is striving for spirituality. So it's very secular, but it's also very spiritual. Um, and so I wanted to give you an example of this. I was chatting with somebody this week about this. There's, there's this desire, there's this sense, if you like, that we have a, a home that isn't of this world, but we're not living in it. We just don't feel like we're comfortable in our shoes. We're always looking for something else. We're always striving for something more. And that is human. That's not Christian. That's just human. And in our secular world, we have people who, who feel like they have a home somewhere, but they're not living in it at the moment. And so there was a question put on a, on a Facebook group in Kelowna, and the question was around uh, wanting to get to this next step in life, feeling stuck, what should, what should I do, anybody got any suggestions? And here, this is Kelowna, this is with some of the answers, this was some of the answers that was passed on to me from somebody who is seeking to find a home, seeking to find something more out of life. Uh, so the first one suggestion was uh, Reiki uh, treatments, this the, and I can't go, I'd love to get into all this, but stress reduction through life force energy, uh, spirit, get a spiritual life coach was one of the suggestions, uh, get tarot cards read, this is Kelowna, okay, and this, can I just say as well, these are likely to be millennial aged parents, okay, millennial aged parents I think it's safe to say. Uh, knowing what the group was. Tarot card reading. And that was very popular. Uh, Get some essential oils in your life. Yep, that'll do it. You know, you're feeling stuck. You want more purpose, fulfillment, joy, love, peace in your life. Essential oils. Um, Okanagan Spiritual College. Never knew there was such a thing, but you need to get yourself there. Uh, Psychic development coach in Kelowna. Uh, Visit a medium. Still no mention of Jesus, by the way. In this long list of comments, this was just, this, there, was, there was just so many different comments. And so I just picked out the general themes. Uh, get into mindfulness, which is from Zen, which is Buddhism. Um, witchcraft. This was very popular. Very popular. Um, and, and connected to, to witchcraft was the idea of get some crystals in your life. Get some tea leaf readings done. I thought I'd gone back to like the 1930s and I'd kind of got into a gypsy caravan. Do you know what I mean? With the the tea leaves. uh, But this is Kelowna, 2020, in a secular society that continually rejects Jesus. Tea leaves. Um, Oh, there was one in the middle there. Paganism. There was one person who was actually saying that they want to bring their children up as pagans. How do they do that? And there was lots of advice on how to do that. Kelowna, 2020. In our, I would say, middle-class suburban neighborhoods, this is what is the desire. Superstition is incredibly popular right now. The idea that you need to be really careful, otherwise you disrupt the universe and karma. As an aside, I'm going to say this really gently, um, the the touch-on-wood thing. I hear Christians saying, oh, touch-on-wood, touch-wood. Okay, first of all, what you're actually doing is calling on the spirits that live in trees to come and help you in your situation, Christians, can I just gently say and lovingly, can you stop saying that, please? Because it's just, it's, it's nonsense, first of all, but you're, it, the superstition is really, really popular in our culture. So this awareness of spirituality, you have to be careful, 
in our secular culture. They're looking to discover a way of life that brings joy and fulfillment. A way of life that brings joy and fulfillment is ultimately the home that we all want to live in. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He, he says very, very common, well-known scripture. I am the way, the way of life. I'm the way to God. And he also then invites us to come and live with him, apprentice with him, which is what we've been looking at over the last few weeks. Follow him, come apprentice with him, be with him, come alongside him, uh, spend time with him. And literally, in a physical way, that people used to apprentice or disciple with rabbis. And wherever the rabbi would go, then their students or apprentices would go with them. And they literally spent their 24-7 365 days of the year with, alongside, making their home with their rabbi. And then in John 15, this very, very well-known verse says, I am the vine, this is Jesus speaking, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from Jesus, you can do nothing. That's quite the statement. And we're living in a secular society that seems to be proving this out all the time, that we bounce from one idea to the next, to the next, to the next, that there seems to be emptiness in whatever direction people go in. And Jesus is saying, look, you come abide with me. And this word abide literally means dwell. Make your home with me. And you will find, not only will there be fulfillment, he moves on to say that you will find joy, deep joy. And you will bear fruit. And so this idea that we have a home but we're not living in it, Jesus is saying, come make your home with me. Come apprentice with me. Come abide with me. Come spend time with me is what we often reference this at. But it's much deeper than that. It's give me your whole attention. Think about the apprentice following the rabbi round. When the rabbi moved, he wouldn't be kind of getting everybody, okay, guys, let's follow me. If he moved, they followed. They had constant attention on their rabbi. What was he saying? What was he doing? Where was he going? Are we moving? Should we do this? Should we not do that? What's his response to this? What is he saying in this situation? And it's a constant invite from the apprentice to the rabbi saying, I want you to influence my life. I'm having my attention placed upon you. So many people experience this. They have this sense of a home, but they're not living it. And Jesus says, come live with me. See, the beautiful thing about what Christians believe that is so unique over every other religion, but every other, that list I could put back on the screen, it supersedes everything else anybody could ever find is what we call the good news, the gospel, that we will find our joy full as we turn to Jesus and we ask Jesus to come and be our rabbis. See, we all have shepherds. We all have rabbis. We're all discipling something or someone And as we look to Jesus, then Jesus makes a promise that is completely unique. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, this is a classic verse, and and verse 21 as well. It says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And what what Paul is doing here is he's starting to describe what this word abide actually means. Is in Christ. That you live in Christ. You make your home in Christ. And if you do that, he or she is a new creation. Jesus starts from scratch. Takes us back to the place, back to the home where we truly belong. 
that before Adam and Eve and before sin and rebellion came through the world, where even if you don't believe in Adam and Eve and you don't believe in sin and shame, you can see the evidence of it in our world. So to get us back to that place, as we heard last week where C.S. Lewis talked, of an echo of a tune that we know exists. There's a home that is better than this, and we know it. Otherwise, people wouldn't be looking to all that list of paganism and witchcraft. They wouldn't be looking to that if there was a sense of contentment. Jesus says, come to me, and we start from scratch. New creation. Come live with me and in me. A new way to be human, a new fruit. He brings us home. And then Galatians 2.20, and we studied Galatians not so long ago. I, this is Paul, making a declaration. I've been crucified with Christ. He's not talking in a literal sense, although literally, spiritually, yes, but not in a physical sense. It is no longer I who live. The old Paul is gone. The old Glenn is gone. The old Wendy is gone. The old Louise is gone. And the new creation, the, uh, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. See, this is where John 14 and 15 are referenced, that you come abide in him. And the life I now live in the flesh, the life I now live in this body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So here's the first thing I want you to know about abiding and living with Jesus and apprenticing with Jesus and making your home with Jesus. It's a positional thing. It's a gift. You don't strive for that position, you are given that position. That as we come to Jesus and we recognize that everything we're grabbing hold of is hopeless at best and sin leading to death at worst, as we come to him and we ask him to flood into our lives, we ask for forgiveness, we confess him as Lord, we confess our sins, and he comes and he makes a new creation. As we do that, then we're immediately made one with him. We abide in him. We are in him positionally. Positionally. It's a place of rest. But there's a very important second aspect. The older theological term would be there's a process of sanctification. There's a process where we become more like him. So think again like the apprentice. The apprentice is following the rabbi in the hope that over time that they would become like the rabbi. And I said this in the first week, literally, that they would speak like them and have the same inflections, same pauses, same mannerisms, same way of living, same way of thinking, same way of responding, same way of acting, that they would literally become like their rabbi to the point where other people would be able to look at the disciple and know what rabbi they are following by their actions and their words. And so we have that promise that we can become more and more like Jesus and through that, love and joy and peace and and all that the promised fruit comes into our life more and more and more. It's a process. Because if you remember in John 15, Jesus says, this is a choice. You need to abide in me. So in one sense, it's positional. And in another sense, it takes action. That we have to actually live out that which we already are. And that's not an unusual concept. We do that all the time. We do that with our jobs, that you are something, and then you live that out. You have a choice to do that. So we have a choice to abide. In other words, whatever we do, we need to do it with Jesus in mind. We can choose to do that. Um, Many, many years ago, 
um, in the early 90s, I, uh, I'd applied to go to university to become a teacher. I was also pastoring at the time, um, but my pastor at the time, you've heard this story, those of you who've been around uh, the South for a while, that he, I wanted to be a pastor and I wanted to go to Bible college and he said no. I was very upset. I wanted to go to Spurgeon's and he said no. And, uh, and like, I would walk on glass for this guy. And so I was like, I was really shocked. He literally said, I won't sign the papers. What? He said, you're not ready. And they're not ready for you either. Thanks, Pastor Warwick. Um, he said, and he said, he said um, and I quote, go and get a proper job, is what he said to me. I went, okay. So we, uh, I'd love to tell you that I fasted and prayed and thought deeply about what this next job should be. I really didn't. Sarah and I were, uh, were we going out at the time? We were going out, I think, at the time maybe. And uh, I went, teaching. I want to become a teacher. I'll teach. Let's teach. All right. Applied to go to teaching university to take a Bachelor of Education. I was going to do environmental science. How exciting does that sound? Right? Environmental studies, like geography and history. I mean, you can rampage around hillsides and point out glaciation and all that kind of stuff. So I was there, first day of university, we were in this gymnasium, like a massive gymnasium. There was hundreds of keen teaching students, four-year degree. We were crammed into this gym, very non-COVID. At the, do you remember those days? And, uh, and there were signs on the wall, environmental studies, math geeks. I didn't say geeks, but that's what I mentally saw, math. And then there was PE, and they were all kind of running around and pulling each other's shorts down and stuff like that, because that's what I remember about PE students. Um, there, was, there was all these different subjects. That, and I was sat there, environmental studies, environmental science, and the lecturer came and stood, and he started addressing us all. And it was all happening all at the same time. It was chaos. And uh, I, sat, I sat there listening. And I'm like, oh, gosh. I can't listen to this guy for four years. This is, this is awful. What have I done? This is terrible. So I, I started looking at the other signs around the room. And I went, design technology. Oh, that sounds interesting. So I, I got up and went and sat at the back over there. Sat down. I hadn't applied for that course. But I sat there and I listened to this guy talking about art and design and and metalwork, and woodwork, and graphic design. This I'm like, this is awesome. And he showed pictures of the design labs, and I'm like, this, I, I want to be on this course. There was a slight problem. I hadn't applied for that course. It's literally saying, like in teaching world, it'd be like going, well, um, I think I'll teach math just for a giggle. I mean, you can't, you need to know something about it and apply for it. And they look at your A-levels that should line up with the degree that you should be taking. Because that's how it works in Britain. I found out later they had portfolios. They'd made school visits. They'd done all sorts of stuff, these students. I'm sat there going, well, that sounds interesting. Anyway, at the end of it all, he said, well, you line up and I'll and just make sure everybody's here. So, and he had a list of names. And I knew my name wasn't on that list, but I lined up. And, uh, and we just got closer and closer. And all the time I'm going, Lord, miracle, Lord, just make my name appear on that list. How cool would that be? Father, please let this happen. Let this happen. Please, Jesus, Jesus' name. I was blabbing it and grabbing it. I was going full on Kenneth Copeland. Let's do this. I, I'm just make it happen, Lord. And I got and he went, name. And I went, Madden. And he went, your name's not on the list. Yeah, I know. And I started talking with him. He went, well, why are you here? He said, because it sounded interesting. And I actually said to him, that sounded really boring. This sounds really interesting. And, he, and I'm like, I'm 19. Like, God, you just say stuff, don't you? And, 
And so he started, I said, well, have you got a portfolio? No. Have you got an A-level in art? No. O-level? No. Well, why are you here? I said, I really like graphic design. I started talking to him about me spraying walls and graffiti. And he must be looking at me going, this guy's an idiot. He said, have you got a portfolio with you? No, I haven't got a portfolio. And then for the longest time, he looked at me and went, all right, and put me down. And I don't want to show off, but I'm going to show off. I, I graduated top of that class because, thank you, design technology, thanks, that's one of clapping, um, became a teacher. And you know what? Looking back, it was so God's will that that happened because that has just helped so much in different ways. But I have to make a choice. And I made a choice in that moment to completely change the direction of my life. I made a choice that literally meant I got up and I walked across the room and I sat down and went, that sounds good. And I didn't know anything about it. I was sat there in complete ignorance as to what this journey was going to look like. But it's something appealed, there was something about it that appealed to me. The person I was going to be following looked appealing to me. And so in our world, we hear things that are appealing. And just like Jesus, he gives us this option of actually following him. And it's appealing to us because what he offers us is something that every one of us desires. Whether you're a Christian, a skeptic, an atheist, or into witchcraft. It's something that every one of us desires. And it is joy, and it is peace, it is forgiveness, it is guilt-free. It's all those wonderful things that Jesus says. Come follow me, I am the way. But we need to make a choice to follow him, to abide with him. We need to make a choice to abide. And it literally means whatever you do, do it with Jesus in mind. Whatever you do, we need to take action, understanding that our next step should be with Jesus. Take this next step with me is the question, what do you desire to be done, Jesus? What do you desire to be said, Jesus? Where we're actually placing our attention, not in a, some non-consequential kind of add it to a once a month, maybe listening to a sermon kind of way, but our whole life oriented towards following our rabbi, Jesus. And the promise that he gives to us is beyond our own lifetime. It's into eternity. Come follow me. Abide with me. Live with me. Make your home with me. Give me your attention. And last week we heard how our attention forms us. Literal neuroplasticity, everything we think about, everything we do, builds up biological pathways in our brain and changes us and forms us and, and informs our lives and informs how we parent and be employers or employees, everything. What we give our attention to. And so Jesus is saying, come abide with me. Come and give me your attention. With the promise that the more that we fix our attention on our gaze upon God, the more he will change us the more he will, we will be reminded of how good he is, how much he loves us, that we become more aware of him. Contentment and being grateful comes into our life. Peace floods in, joy, love. And do we have to fight for it? Yeah, because we, we have to work hard at keeping our attention on him. I'm going to talk about that in a second. But the fruit of it, the fruit is the very essence of what it means to be human. To find that purpose and fulfillment and that joy that everybody is looking for. To actually make your home in the place that you know exists and you may feel like you're a long way from. The place that you are looking to, to fill 
witchcraft and paganism and crystals and essential oil, all those things that you are looking to to try and get you what it is that you were created for, is a promise that Jesus gives us as we place our attention upon him and we become more like him and it forms us. But can I tell you this with absolute certainty? And this is where my pivot happens in my message because the rest of the message is the how. It's how do we place our attention It takes continual, continual work to abide. Continual work. My relationship with Sarah is set. I am her husband. She is my wife. I have the piece of paper. I have the service, the ceremony, and the experience to say so. Part of my identity is that I am her husband. But the abiding takes continual attention. That we have to set rules into our marriage that enable it to be enriched. We could live as two separate people and still be husband and wife. You may know people like that. You can have two separate people, husband and wife, who aren't abiding, living with one another, if you like, or paying attention to one another. Then the relationship is completely broken down, even though in name, they are husband and wife. For Sarah and I to abide, for Sarah and I to increase in our love and to stay sure, I have to pay attention to her and give her my time. And we set rules in our lives to do that. So we have a date each week, whether we like it or not. And for those of you who have been married long enough, you know what I mean when I say that. Okay, date. What do you want to do? No, no, it's not like that every time. (laughs) Um, We're really great marriage counselors, by the way, because uh, the pre-marriage counseling is, uh, is important. But it takes time and attention and discipline. But it's enriching. So here's what the Bible talks about. This continual attention. This is what it sounds like in the Bible. The Bible talks about abiding. We've seen that. Set your mind. These are all action. Walk by, keep in step with the Spirit. Set your heart. You see how these are choices? Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. Run with endurance and perseverance. Press on. Dwell on. And remember God's faithfulness and provision. So, you can abide in Jesus positionally. You are a Christian and you are a Christian positionally. But the choice of actually daily giving attention to him and becoming more like him, this is what the Bible describes it as. That our whole life, our whole life is lived in the presence of God. Nothing is too ordinary or material. It's the integration of two realms, two places at once. What do I mean by that? That our everyday activity can be lived in two places at once. That we can give Jesus our complete attention while we give life attention. That we can actually live through the lens of, I am in the presence of God. You didn't come to the presence of God this morning when he came to church. We don't believe that. Do we believe his presence increases as his people worship and gather together? Absolutely. But you are in the presence of God when you drive home. You are in the presence of God when you get up in the morning. You're in the presence of God and fulfill that whole list of what your life looks like. So abiding with Jesus means that your whole life actually becomes lived through the lens and the filter of Jesus, what do you want me to do right now? That Johnny, you could be swinging a hammer while thinking about Jesus. That is a gift given to you. And it will change him as he does that. That every activity that you do can be done with Jesus in mind. You can be in two places at once. 
two places at once. And nothing is too ordinary or too material to bring Jesus and God into. This integration of two realms, as C.S. Lewis called it, is ours as a gift. That's what abiding looks like. But what I have noticed as I have read about this over the years and thought about this and considered some of the promises from the New Testament about guarding, uh, sorry, giving your attention to Jesus and living in his presence, that I know that it should be an unceasing thing. It should be daily. It should be continual. It should be moment by moment. And what I've noticed is by personal experience pastorally and but also just by being human, that it's less about what I do in order to bring Jesus into my life, although that is important and we're going to talk about that over the next few weeks. But it's often about what I don't do. That I have to guard my attention. I have to fiercely guard my attention. I have to fiercely guard my attention because what I abide in forms me. And so as I'm careful about what I give my attention to, then I have more opportunity to give my attention to God. And know this, I say this in all seriousness. This is where we get very practical. There is a war happening for your attention. There is a war, there's a battle over your attention in our culture in a way that is completely unique for our culture and our time. It's a battle. And distraction seems to be winning. And while we're distracted, we cannot abide in Christ. While we give other things our attention, we are not giving Him our attention. While we're giving other things our attention, they are forming us, and He is not. And there's a battle for our attention. There is a, and I highly recommend you watch this, uh, a documentary that has been recently released on Netflix called um, Social Dilemma. That's right, isn't it? Social Dilemma. Uh, It's an hour and a half long. It is mind-blowing. Watch it. Parents, watch it. You should watch this because what it is is a a, a complete description of just some bits I'm going to share with you right now. There is a war for your attention and distraction is winning. Which means that people, Christians included, of all ages, are not placing their attention upon the one that actually forms them to be like Christ, which is the only hope our city has got. But it means that your attention is forming your life in other ways. So you'll hear some of these quotes on the social dilemma. There is also some excellent literature that you can find that I'd be happy to share with you. Sean Parker was one of the Facebook founders and he is now called a conscientious objector to social media. And he, he said this about social media and, and Facebook in particular. It literally changes your relationship with society and with each other. It probably interferes with productivity in weird ways. God only knows what it's doing to our children's brains. He explained then that Facebook was being developed. The objective was, the objective of Facebook when it first was being developed was this. How do we consume as much of your time and conscious attention as possible? It was this mindset that led to the creation of features such as the like button that would give users a little dopamine hit to encourage them to upload more content. It's a social validation feedback loop, he said. Exactly the kind of thing that a hacker like myself would come up with because you're exploiting a vulnerability in human psychology. Now, some people in the room and online go, oh, I'm fine, I don't go on Facebook. (laughs) First of all, good for you. Secondly, you know somebody who does. 
You certainly live in a culture that does. And so it's important that we're informed. Uh, One of the people on the uh, social dilemma, Tristan Harris, said this, social media intentionally designed and engineered for distraction and addiction because that is where the money is. That is where the money is. Professor James Wilson, the largest, most standardized form of attention control in history. The whole idea with social media, and by social media I'm talking Facebook and Instagram and Snapchat and and the list just goes on and on and on and on and on. The whole idea is to monetize your attention. And as you watch Social Dilemma, you'll actually see the clever ways in which they do that. And it is frightening. We were all like, I'm switching my phone off. It was really, really frightening because the reality is this, that your attention is being sold and formed. We as they say, are being sold. Our phone is not for us. It's for Apple. It's for Google. It's for Facebook. It's for Instagram. It's for Snapchat. We are being sold, they say, on this program. And they also pointed out, and I never thought about this, there's a reason why we are called users, and so are drug addicts. And so these addictive things are in our hands, and I want to say something, and I thought about this because I've heard it, and I've thought, is that true? And I actually believe that it is, that the number one thing that is going to keep you and I away from Jesus is placed in our pocket. And we look at it thousands of times a day. I said last week, the average on phone is 2,617 times a day. That is not top use, that's average use. If you close that research just down to millennials, they spend an average of five and a half hours a day on the phone. Five and a half hours a day. The average is two and a half hours a day just for people of all ages, but just millennials, five and a half hours a day. The reality is it's clever because just a few seconds here and there builds up. Just imagine what it would be like, Christian friend, if we spent just a few seconds, 2,617 times a day, thinking about Jesus. I read this this week and I thought this was quite funny, that the attention span is shown to be dropping. The scientist tells us in the year 2000 that the average human attention span was 12 seconds long. Now it's 8 seconds. To give you some perspective, the average goldfish attention span, nine seconds. That is what social media is doing for us. And please, let's be careful not to go, well, I don't go on social media, so I'm fine. The culture is on social media. The person you're trying to disciple may be on social media. The child that you are seeking to bring up will have their attention warred over. The distractions around us are the number one enemy to our abiding and growing, whether it be our phones, our iPads, Netflix, gaming, emailing, texting. These are constant distractions that we have to war and battle over in order for us to fully abide in Christ. And instead of being reminded of how good he is and how much he loves us and how, much aware, how aware he is of us and we become grateful and contentment increases and peace floods in, instead of that, we allow our attention to be hijacked by gossip and news and sex and these little things that steal our attention away on a constant basis, perfectly designed to be monetized so that you and I do not follow Jesus. And discontent and selfish mindsets and narcissism flood in. Anxiety goes through the roof. For those of you who have daughters 
or, ch- or young women in your life, you need to watch The Social Dilemma and buckle up because it is beautifully designed to go after the girls. It's frightening. Watch it today, as soon as you get home. That's your homework. Watch TV. <laughs> what a great pastor. Watch more Netflix. Um, it's frightening. It's a wasted life. So, what do we do about it? How do we get our attention off our devices and our phones and place it on Jesus? Are there other distractions? Absolutely. But I want to focus on devices and phones and computers because that is such a real issue in our world today. So first of all, I just want to say to place your attention and abide in Jesus, start simple and guilt-free. Start where you are. Perfection is the enemy of progress. So you might think, I've got to spend three hours a day with Jesus. And please do. That would be wonderful. But maybe it starts with five minutes in the morning. You get a great cup of coffee and you get your Bible and your journal. You just quiet yourself before the Lord and you ask him into your day. That you'll set your mind on him. Start your day well. Don't start your day with a phone. Don't start your day with social media or news. And I have to say this, and I say this by confession. This morning I got up at 5.30. As I was my normal thing, because I usually spend a couple of hours on my sermon before I come to church. And so I woke up. I did not have my phone by my bedside. So there. I got home. I got downstairs. But I'm following this kind of fitness app. So I was like, you know what? I, I, just, need to, I just need to log what I'm doing right now. Got my phone. Fitness app. I wonder what they're saying about Manchester United. And then from Manchester United, I went to uh, this, this show that we watched last night. I wanted to find out about one of the actors because the actor there. I'm like that. So now the coffee's being made. I'm just thinking, hey, it's just while I'm making coffee. No big deal. So then I sit down. I've got my, I got my computer. And, uh, and then something, it's the first thing that comes up when, when it was Facebook on my screen. And I, it sounds like I'm a Facebook addict. I'm really not says everybody, but Facebook just happened to be there, and I immediately thought there was a Jeep for sale. Oh, not that I want to buy a Jeep, but for some reason I'm obsessed with how expensive Jeeps are. It's weird. I've got a Jeep. It's weird. So I clicked on that. 20 minutes later, I'm looking at my sermon, convicted, and I can almost see, hear God going, see? So start early. Start simple. Start guilt-free. Start where you are. Get up uh, early and sleep well. Be careful of those first few morning routines. And here's something I want to recommend to all of us. Take a digital audit and maybe detox. Take a digital audit. Why am I focused on digital? Because digital is so important in the world that we're living in today. Spurgeon used to preach, he said, with a newspaper in one hand and Bible in the other. This is what I'm doing. This is the reality. And so I want to suggest some ways in which you can have a digital order in detox. And this is so important, especially if you're parents. I want to highly recommend that, first of all, you take a digital rest each day. Switch off your phones. No phone by your bed. Get an alarm clock. Make sure that your phones go to bed before you do. It's pretty simple. Take a digital Sabbath. Sarah and I were chatting about this yesterday. This is something we've been doing for a while now. Um, Digital Sabbath for you might be just everything but email or text. I would recommend, though, you switch off email, social media, everything. Take a digital Sabbath. Be an unapologetic digital parent. Unapologetic. We are called to be parents, not friends first. 
and it will be lead to difficult, and I, trust me, I know, I've been through the ages of children, so I know how difficult this is. But be a digital parent. What does that look like? Oh, that shouldn't have happened. Okay, let's go. What does it look like to be a digital parent? Devices go to bed before you do. These are just some ideas. No devices in bedroom or bathrooms, especially when you've got boys. No devices in bedrooms or bathrooms um, for pornography reasons and lust reasons and everything else, but it just makes good sense. Don't allow your kids to have devices in their bedroom. No late-night internet by themselves. Absolute no-no still. And I've got a 21-year-old boy in the house. My girls have, have left home already. This is still a rule. Allow your kids to be bored. I've talked about this a lot, that out of boredom comes creativity. It's okay. You don't necessarily need to give them a screen all the time. Um, and then don't use screens as a reward. Use candy as a reward, right? No. <laughs> Choose something else, but don't let it be screens. No unnecessary phone use in front of your kids. See, you'll be saying one thing, but doing another, and your kids are noticing, so don't be constantly on the phone while telling them not to be on the phone. They'll notice that. Um, don't look at phones at kids' events. I read this this week. That's really, really important. I've never thought about it before. Like if you're looking down and your kid happens to look across from, do you remember when we used to play volleyball and basketball, parents? Well, it's not happening much right now, but they look across and they see mom or dad on their phone. Take the picture, put it away. No devices at dinner table. That's pretty obvious. Um, monitor YouTube very carefully. Very, very carefully. It is a terrible way of monetizing attention. And one screen at a time. So if you're watching a movie together as a family, don't allow other screens to be out while watching the movie. Just, just give the attention that it needs. Now, I'm hoping it goes back. Yes, it does. Okay. Turn off your notifications when you need the phone, not when it needs you. So turn off your notifications. In other words, make your phone the tool that you have rather than you being the tool. I shouldn't say it that way. Um, use when you need the phone, not when it needs you. Put your family in your favorites so you get the notification, but everything else, make sure you're in control. And then minimize what apps you have on your phone. These are just simple ideas. And these are, these are things that you can read a lot about on the internet, but just make utility apps, not entertainment apps. I want to say that if you start with that, you'll already see a remarkable difference in your life as you detox from your digital use. And then you start looking for other ways that you can then start building up those neural pathways to start abiding with Jesus. Sarah and I spent some time over the last few months really talking about this a lot. And we confessed and genuinely asked for forgiveness and looked at ways that we as parents could do a better job when it comes to me and my house. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And so we've, we've brought in different rules, if you like. And so yesterday, I'm not going to share all of them, but we, we've got the Madden digital rule of life. Um, so no iPad, no phone or computer by the bed, get an alarm clock. No hotspot use after bed. Parents wake up just because your Wi-Fi goes off doesn't mean to say your kid's data goes off. 
So uh, just be careful of that. We will um, we'll take email and social media Sabbath each week. Digital devices go to bed before everyone else. No digital devices in bathrooms. No late night screens by ourselves. No, it's, this is me as well. This is not just... This is for me too. Uh, boredom is okay. Screens are not the answer. Screens will not be used as reward. No devices at dinner table. Only one screen at a time. So no TV plus phone. And no gaming after question mark or before question mark. We need to talk about that. Now it sounds like we, they're living in some military base. They're really not. You talk to them. Well, they better hadn't say. <laughs> but we talk about it together. It's so important. They watch Social Dilemma. Bring them in. So next week. Sarah's going to be speaking on meditation and memorizing scripture. If I could choose one way, one thing to replace all that digital world with, it would be memorizing and meditation on scripture. If you spent some time in the morning memorizing and meditating on scripture and setting your mind towards Jesus, inviting him to give him attention throughout the day, and then seeking his presence as you go throughout the day, I'll promise you that the neural pathways will develop in your brain, just like Paul said, and you'll, you'll be transformed by the renewal, renewing can't even say, of your mind. And so as you go into your day, your brain will bring back the memory of the scripture, will bring back the memory of Jesus, and then be sensitive to him as you go throughout your day. As much as you possibly can, think about him. Ask Jesus at the beginning of the day to remind you often of him throughout the day. But if you then just immediately turn to a screen and start putting your attention on other things, it'll be very quiet. But the less attention you give to other things outside of your job and driving and the important things, you'll find that your mind will drift towards him. Set aside 10 minutes each day. If you really want a shock, for those of you who are listening, look at the end of the week to see how much time you've spent on social media. Your phone will tell you. And then think, what would it have looked like if I'd spent that amount of time reading my Bible or spent time thinking about Jesus, abiding with him continually? Just this week, do a digital audit. Spend some time with Jesus every day, guilt-free, even if it's small. Ask him to remind you of his presence throughout the day. Set aside some time and enjoy his presence. That literally will change cities. It will change parenting. It will change the way that you do work. And you'll find that these people, especially on the social dilemma, these experts, the brilliance of their brains was, was unbelievable. It's amazing how many of them have got similar rules. Like one guy said, my kids do not have social media before the age of 16. He says, just not going to happen. And he was one of the founders. So we really need to become hyper-conscious of the attention that we're giving to things. And then let's place our attention upon Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. And then next week, come back. Sarah's going to be sharing about how to meditate and how Jesus brings so much fruit through that in our day. For those of you who are present, I thought if you wanted to, we could spend a few minutes chatting about this, and, uh, and you might have some questions. For those of you online, and we're going to pray together, and pray that uh, Willow on prayer tomorrow night, and, um, and yeah, let's come back next week together and, uh, and spend some time thinking about meditating on Scripture. So I'm going to pray for you, and then we'll have a chat, those of you in the room. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, first of all, I'm just so grateful that you 
have made it possible that we can make our home with you and abide with you. And Lord, we live in a culture and a world that we can recognize is warring over our attention. But Jesus, our heart's desire is to give you our attention. That we see that as being the most beautiful and ultimate thing we can do. Lord, we confess that we fail. Lord, we get distracted. And so Lord, I pray today for everybody who hears my voice online or in the week or in person here today. That Lord, that we just become really conscious of your presence, that Jesus, you would prompt us regularly to place our attention upon you, even if it's just a whisper, thank you, Jesus. Thank you that you gave your life for me. That, Lord, we'd become a church, Lord, of the attentive, abiding in you. And, Lord, I pray for people in in my hearing who who have got any kind of influence over young people. Lord, I pray that you would show us how we can best mentor and coach, set example, Lord, in our culture that is so distracted. But Lord, that we would be able to hold these things with an open hand to you and say no if we need to and help when we need it. So Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus that this week will be a beautiful It will be filled with beautiful moments spent with you, Lord. Thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you, Lord, that we get to live with you forever. We ask all these things in your name, Jesus. We love you. Amen. Amen. God bless you, everybody online.